The pastor in that uh, video thought that God was calling him that in order to serve God, he had to go to a different place. And he learned that God had a mission for him right in his hometown, to the people that he grew up with, to his neighbors, to his family. I want you to know that God may call you to the ends of the earth, but for right now, he is calling you to your family. He is calling you to the people around you. Uh, God is calling you. I want you to think about that this morning. The God of the universe wants you to share the good news of his son. Is that amazing to you? God is calling you. There's none of us in this, no one in this room has escaped that calling. That calling is a universal calling. You don't have to have pastor in front of your name. God has called you. The creator of all things is calling you to share the good news. I, I don't even get that. I, I don't even under, understand that. It, it just, you know, we're, we fail sometimes and we miss up and we don't do what he wants us to do. And it would seem like it would be a whole lot easier if our creator just made us and made us do what he designed us to do. Wouldn't that be a whole lot easier for us? But he, he didn't do that. And I don't understand that. There are things in this life that I, that I may never get, I don't truly understand, and I've come to the point in my life and say, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with not understanding or figuring everything out. Uh, I'm sure somebody at some time could sit down and explain it to me, and eventually I'd get it, but, but if I'm honest, I really, sometimes I just don't care to understand. <laughs> I'll just leave it to the people that are, that are smarter than I am to figure it out. I remember uh, being in high school and college, and my most hated course was chemistry. Ugh, there are those here that chemistry floats your boat, but it's not me. Did you know that Jared Parsons is a chemist? Weirdo. (laughs) Love you, Jared. It just blows my mind that somebody would choose to study chemistry. I don't get that, but... Beyond neutrons and protons and electrons, I have lost interest in all of that a long time ago. And uh, there's other things that I'm not going to understand. Think about this. Carol and I, we go out and we walk our dogs and um, people will stop us and they'll want to pet the dogs and and, and they'll compliment our dogs and they'll say, oh, that's a really good looking dog. And we say, thank you. As if we had anything to do at all about how our dog looks. So, you know, we didn't have anything to do with it. I know we're just being polite, but it, if you think about it, that makes no sense whatsoever. Um, this doesn't make any sense to me. Why do you slap your knee when something is funny? I don't get why do we say that's a real knee slapper? I'm glad it's, that was a real face puncher. That, didn't, that wouldn't work if I cry as well. Uh, this question bothers me. Why is it a pair of pants? Is each leg a pant? No, but that's what we call it, right? If you wonder why some nights I can't sleep, here you go. So there's just things in this life that I don't understand. And, and frankly, um, 
I'll probably die someday, and if I never understand organic chemistry, I'm okay with that. It's all right. Uh, If I never figure out quantum physics, I'm still going to be a happy man. It's okay. I don't have to understand everything. There's things also, and even as a pastor in the Bible, that I just don't quite get. There's things that are very perplexing to me, and today's scripture is one of those. Today's, Today's passage is troubling to me in a way. And although I don't quite understand the, the reasoning behind this story, there's some amazing lessons within this story that if we'd, if we'd look at it close enough, we can glean some of these from it. And as we learn more about God that is not afraid to get involved in the lives of his creation, not, not afraid to get his hands dirty with us, I want you to uh, turn to the very first book of the Bible as we continue this and we learn about him. We want you to turn to Genesis Find uh, chapter 22. So first book of the Bible, chapter 22, that's the bigger of the numbers. So keep going, go through till you find uh, 22, and then we'll start at the very first verse. Now while you're turning there, let me give you just a little bit of background of what's happened so far. Last week, we, we made it through the first three chapters of the Bible. God has created the world and everything in it, the heavens and the earth and the animals and the landscape and everything and he ends, and he ends it with the creation of mankind, man and woman. And God creates mankind to rule over this earth in his image. And see, that's what sets us apart from all of the other creation, is that we're the only thing that has been created in his image. However, humans have done a pretty poor job of ruling this earth, and we've misused our authority and things uh, here in in the beginning of the Bible, things have really spiraled out of control. And everywhere you look, there's violence and sin and death. And God ends up scattering his people across the earth. And, and afterwards, he calls one man, one man named Abram. Later, God's going to change his name to Abraham. And Abraham is given a different promise from God. In Genesis 12, this is where God is, gives Abraham this promise that he is going to redeem, he's going to restore mankind through Abraham and through all of his numerous, numerous descendants. It's a pretty good deal, right? God has come to, to Abraham and he has this plan to get things back on track, but there's a teensy tiny little problem. Abraham has no descendants. Abraham doesn't have any kids, and Abraham's wife, Sarah, is barren. She can't have children. And so Abraham reminds God, there's a little problem here. And God reassures him over and over and over that, Abraham, this promise is going to come true. Abraham, you just need to trust. And decades later... Decades later, Abraham was already an old man. And then decades later, Abraham and Sarah eventually have a son. And they're, even though they're really old at that point, they realize that God has finally provided. And it seems like Abraham's test of his faith is finally over. But as we're going to see, it's really just begun. All of this takes us to probably the biggest test of faith for Abraham and it's found in chapter 22. It's a story that that at first glance makes as much sense to me as chemistry and quantum physics. I don't get this story. Sometime later God 
uh, this is verse 1. Let's go ahead and read. Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Excuse me? <laughs> Excuse me, God? I, I, gotta, I gotta tell you the truth. This, this story has caused me a lot of heartache through, throughout the years, and especially as a pastor thinking, I gotta try to explain this story. This story has given me a lot of turmoil, and uh, I'm trying to make sense of, of the God that would ask Abraham to do such a thing. And there's these questions that would come to my mind, like, what kind of God would ask a father to do this? Is God really asking for a child sacrifice? That's what the pagan, that's what the pagan gods of the, of the time, that's what people believe their gods were asking them, to sacrifice their own children. Is God doing the same thing? It doesn't seem like the God that I want to follow at this point, really. It seems like a pretty cruel and sadistic God that's asking a father to do the absolute unthinkable. But this story is really foreshadowing of what God is going to do for us much later in his story. So hang in there. Let's, let's look at the rest of the story of Abraham and, and Isaac. Start back at verse 3. Early next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horn. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day... It is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. 
Maybe as you're, you're reading this story and you're listening to this story this morning, there's some things here that just don't quite make sense. And maybe you're still scratching your, your head about a few things. I am too. Uh, like I said, I've struggled with this passage uh, for, for a long time. This passage doesn't seem to describe a loving and compassionate God that I want to know. This God seems cruel, in fact. And what kind of God would ask Abraham to do this? See, one of the dangers, though, is that when we study Scripture, what we often do is take one story or one passage or even one verse, and we expect it to, to stand on its own apart from every, uh, the rest of, of God's Word. Now, it's easy to do. You probably have a devotional at home. I have a devotional at home. And, and it just highlights one verse or it just highlights one passage. And it would be really easy to just let that verse stand out on its own apart from Scripture. But that verse has never been intended to be its own Bible. That verse is, is part of the bigger word of God. It fits into a larger story. And the larger story will often help us discern the meaning of an individual verse or passage. And that's really what's going on here in this story. See, when you look at Scripture... Uh, before this story, you'll find that this isn't the first time that, that Abraham experienced the faithfulness of God the Father. God has revealed himself over and over and over again to, to Abraham and through all of Abraham's successes and through Abraham's failures, God has shown himself and, and shown himself to be trustworthy and faithful. And so God, or Abraham had good reason to trust God. And, and even in this situation, as hard as it is, he still had reason to know that God is a trustworthy God and God is still a good God. Back in, verse, uh, or in chapter 18, Abraham even says this, Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is right? He trusted God. And so Abraham probably looked back in the many times that God has come through for him and the times that he doubted God and God still showed up as faithful and Abraham's faith is built on on one thing after another after another and, it, and it's grown to this solid trust you have reason to trust God too all of, all of us do. Many times in your past, he has shown up in your life. So many times we could tell the stories where he has taken care of us. And even in the midst of tragedy, God was there with you the whole time, comforting you and holding you close. You have reason to see God as a, as a trustworthy God, just like Abraham did. But Abraham said, also said something that I don't want to to miss here. See, he fully expected that he and Isaac were going to return home together. I want you to look back at scripture here. Here's uh, what Abraham is speaking to his servant. Verse five, uh, Abraham says, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. And he says, we will worship and then we will come back to you. Let's keep going here. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went up together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, uh, Dad, got a little bit of a question here. Um, seems like 
something's missing. Uh, I, don't, I don't quite get that. The fire is here. Uh, the wood is here. Uh, where's the lamb, Dad? What, what, what's going on here? And Abraham answers, God himself will provide the lamb for this burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked up the mountain together. See, there's a couple schools of thoughts here. Either Abraham thought that God uh, wasn't actually going to have him sacrifice his son. I, I mean, why would he? I know God asked him that, but he's probably thinking, that's probably not going not to happen because God has promised me descendants as numerous as the stars. And if I don't have a son, I don't have descendants. So this doesn't add up. There's some people that believe that Abraham didn't think that Isaac would be sacrificed at all. See, if, if Isaac did die, um, Abraham fully expected him to be resurrected. Either way, Abraham had full faith that God was going to provide in some way. God was going to provide his, uh, keep his promise. And both he and Isaac, even though they, if, even if Isaac is sacrificed, even if he does die, he's seeing that God is going to provide in some way and they're both going to return back home together. And I've heard a lot of sermons about this particular passage and about this story, and perhaps you have as well. And, and every single sermon I've ever heard about this, and a lot of the research that I did about this, this passage, is, it's all about Abraham, and it's all about his test of faith, and it's all about his, his trust in God, and it's all about how God provided for him. But I think we're missing the point of the story. As I try to make sense of this story where, where God asked Abraham to sacrifice his, his son, I'm still screaming inside, why, Lord? There has to be something else here. There has to be something that I'm missing. There has to be a deeper, a richer meaning to this story because I'm still left with why you would do that. What if this story wasn't meant to be about Abraham at all? What if it's not about Isaac? This story, even though it's many, many, many years before Jesus was born, is really about Christ. The entire Bible, in fact, points to Jesus as the Messiah, and so does this story. So this story really isn't about Abraham, it's about Jesus. If we look at this story, there's some parallels here with Jesus. And if you're taking notes, get ready. These are going to come pretty fast. Number one, Isaac and Jesus are both the long-awaited beloved sons. They're the ones that have been waited for uh, for a long time. Both of these sons were born in miraculous circumstances. Both were born to mothers that weren't supposed to be able to have children. One was way too old, one was too young. Number two, Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. This is believed to be the same place where the city of Jerusalem sits today. Jesus was crucified in the same area where Isaac was laid on an altar. Number three, both sons 
carry the wood that was to be used as an instrument of their death up the side of the mountain. Isaac carries the firewood. Jesus carries the cross. And number four, both sons obediently gave themselves over to death. I want you to think about that for a moment. Remember this scripture, verse 9 says, When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. Now, there's a couple different opinions here of, uh, of how old Isaac was during this story. And the story calls him a boy. And so uh, a lot of people think that he was uh, probably about 12, maybe a young teenager. But there's other scholars. There's a pretty big school of thought that, uh, that people think that Isaac was actually around 20. And there's even a school of thought that Isaac was 33 years old the same age as Jesus when he was crucified. His dad, however, Abraham, was over 100. So no matter how old Isaac is, whether he's 33 or whether he's 12, when he realized that he's the one that's going to be sacrificed, chances are Isaac could have outrun his dad, right? He could have gotten out of there. I mean, this guy is 100 years old. He's not winning any races. So Isaac could have got away. For Isaac to be sacrificed in this manner, he had to willingly give up his life. This story is often used to to highlight the extreme obedience of a father, the extreme obedience of, of Abraham, but For a moment, look at the extreme obedience of Isaac. Holy cow. (laughs) But I, I still think we're missing something here. Something's not right about this story. There's something else going on. See, if Isaac is the son who's willing to sacrifice himself, then then Abraham would represent God. But is Isaac really the one that's supposed to represent Jesus in this in this story? Why don't you look at number five here? In both scenarios, God provides a substitute. Isaac is saved because God provides a ram, which is a male lamb. We are saved because God provided his son, the lamb of God. See, Isaac isn't Jesus in this story, Isaac is us. We're Isaac. The ram represents Jesus. There's another connection here, if you caught it. Number six, the ram was caught in a thorny thicket. On the day that Jesus was crucified, he had a crown of thorns. See the correlations here? But this is still a disturbing story. And I struggled with it for for years. How could a good God ask Abraham to do such a thing, to sacrifice his son? But this story has so little to do with Abraham and Isaac. 
This story is about God and us. This story is about us. This story isn't meant to just shock us. This story is, is put there to comfort us. The Apostle Paul writes about this comfort and, and a good God thousands of years later when he writes a, a letter to the Romans in chapter 8, verse 31. This is what Paul wrote. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not only with him graciously give us all things? This is the God we follow. This is a God who's not afraid to, to get his hands dirty to to, by providing for us both in this life and in our life to come. See, God isn't cruel or shocking in this story because he didn't ask Abraham to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. Abraham had to go through the motions, but God followed through with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And it brings us to the most important correlation here. Number seven is the ram was the substitute for Isaac. The lamb is the substitute for us. That, we say that Christ died for us. What? Fancy word we're saying is a substitutionary atonement. But Jesus didn't die for us. He died as us. I'm going to repeat that again because it, it changes our story. Jesus didn't die for us. He died as us. He died as our representative. He died as our substitute. He died for what we have done, our sins, not his own. See, our death became his death. The death that was owed for our sins has already been paid for the one who followed through. I read this story about a, a week or so ago, and uh, I, I think it was first told by the, an evangelist, D.L. Moody, and I think it's going to help us understand this. There once was a young man that who didn't want to serve in Napoleon's army. And when he was drafted, a friend volunteered to go in his place. And so a substitution was made and his replacement died in battle. And through a clerical error, the young man was drafted again. And he told the officers, you can't take me because I'm already dead. I died on the battlefield. And they argued with him. And they say, you're standing right here in front of us. We can see you. <clears throat> but instead, he insisted that they look on the roll and they found the record of his death. Sure enough, there it was with his name. And the case was finally brought before Napoleon himself, who after examining the evidence said, through a substitute, this man died. Therefore, there is no claim on him. See, the man was freed because someone already died in his place. And the same is true for us. I want you to lessen the, the significance of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus for us. 
We have an enemy that hates us. Can you imagine? Can you imagine our enemy right now if he was able, you know, if he was talking to God, if the devil and God were having a conversation about you? And the devil might say, just God, look at this one. Oh, he's failed so many times. Look at this list of all of the things that he's done. Would you look at this? He's lied. He's cheated. You name it. He's done it. He's guilty of it all. What do you say, God? How about you let me have this one? No. No, God says, because there's already been a substitute. See, he's already dead. He's already died. There is no claim on him except the claim that I have on him. He's mine. My son already died for him. See, God asked Abraham to do the unthinkable. But he asked him to do what God was willing to do himself. Same for you. God is asking you to make a sacrifice today, but the the sacrifice isn't someone else. The sacrifice is you. He's asking you to let the old self go. He's asking you to let the old self die and to accept the new. Jesus is asking you to do what he has already done for you. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24 says this. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we serve a God who's not afraid to get his hands dirty in our life. It would have been so much easier, Lord, for you to just create us and to be a hands-off God and just let us do what we think we need to do, or even, Lord, to make us do what you want us to do. But that's not how you created us. And because of of your great gift to us, a substitutionary atonement had to be made. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough that you sent your one and only son. That whoever believes in you would not perish, but have everlasting life. So Jesus, you are asking us to to give up of ourselves by following you, to let the old self die, to sacrifice ourselves. The Bible calls us a living sacrifice. The old can be gone. The new can come. And so, Lord, as we sit here and we're we're speaking to you this morning, maybe there's some here for for the very first time want to say, Jesus, I need to follow you. I need to give up of myself. I need you to be my savior. I ask for your forgiveness. I want to follow you, Jesus. Take the old away and let the new come into my life. Maybe for the very first time somebody has said that here, but Lord, I know that there's also some here that have just let the old self creep back up. 
The old self is meant to be gone. But we've allowed the old self to be resurrected. Lord, could we put our foot down today and say, no, the devil has no claim on me. I am a follower of the Son. I am a follower of the Lamb who gave his life for me. There is no claim on me besides yours, God. And Lord, would you help us to realize that with that comes great power. With that comes the same power that you use to resurrect your son from the grave. Lord, help us to live a life with dirty hands. That we would be willing to go wherever you tell us to go or to stay when you tell us to stay. But wherever we are, Lord, may we be reminded that it is our job to take this good news to everyone that we meet. Lord, may we be Jesus today. We thank you, Lord, for the ability and the opportunity to do so. We thank you, Lord, for your substitutionary atonement in our life. We live because you died. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of us say together, amen.